Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. My guests today are Peggy Hitchcock. She's the founder and president of Arizona Friends of Tibet. And we're also joined by Tenzin Sonam, who's a Tibetan graduate student at the University of Arizona. Uh, they're here to talk about an upcoming film that's going to be showing at the Loft Theater, which is organized by the Arizona Friends of Tibet. The film is called Bringing Tibet Home, and it'll include a Q&A with the filmmaker as well. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Welcome to you. <laughs> Wonderful to be here. What does the Arizona Friends of Tibet do? Well, that depends our mission initially was to educate people about the Tibetan people and their culture and to generally inform them that this is a culture and, and a civilization that's worth saving. Uh, as you probably know, the Chinese uh, took over what was Tibet um, about 50 years ago, is it now? Yeah. And um, their hope was that by as of now that they the Tibetans would have been totally culturally assimilated into China. That has not happily happened. Many of the Tibetans fled. About 150,000 Tibetans are now living in exile. India, under the leadership of Nehru, was very gracious and granted them asylum and provided them with places to live. In South India, mostly, the climate was a bit of a challenge for them, but generally speaking, they have grown and prospered. Uh, the Tibetan government in exile has provided them with an amazingly good education. They have, uh, I think, added a lot to India and in return the favor of being granted asylum. Their leader uh, has become, I'd say, probably the foremost exponent of peace in the world. His his name is Tenzin Gyatso. Uh, he is the 14th Dalai Lama. He has gone way beyond being the leader of the Tibetans. He has become a world leader and proponent for peace. Our, our organization was formed to educate people about this civilization and to promote uh, the values of the Tibetan people, they had done away with armies, and uh, I think for about a hundred years before this diaspora, and um, their the philosophy there they are Buddhist country, and the philosophy of Buddhism is not does not include war, uh, which is considered a, th- a very sort of primitive and unsatisfactory way of solving problems. Let's see. I think we we have done a lot of different things. We have uh, we have also invited His Holiness the Dalai Lama to to Tucson. He has come here twice, and now we have just invited him to come in conjunction with the University of Arizona a third time. So hopefully he will be able to uh, grace our city in the not too distant future. You heard it here first on Thirty Minutes. <laughs> Tenzin Sonam, talk about your own story and how you happened to come to Tucson. So I came here to Tucson in 2011 uh, as a grad student. So before coming here, I was working as an interpreter, as a translator, in a very uh, 
new program uh, in diaspora. So it's about teaching Western science to Tibetan Buddhist monks and nuns. So I was involved in that project for about six years. So when I was working in these projects, I was actually getting to know a lot of uh, Western professors and scientists and uh, scholars who came to teach these monks. So I was working as a yeah. interpreter for these uh, workshops that we had with the monks. So through that, I mean, I came to know about science education research, and I'm really interested to like uh, how to develop uh, the science education in the monasteries and also in the diaspora community. So that's how my interest in science re- education came about, and and then I. Uh, in 2011, I decided to <clears throat> come here to Tucson. Let's talk a little bit more about the film that you're bringing to the loft on November 11th at 7 p.m. It's called Bringing Tibet Home. Talk a little bit about that story. Well, I can say that I think it's a brilliant uh, concept. And the man who, who evolved this concept, who is the filmmaker, who's not the director, but he was the one who initiated the project, did so um, at, because this in, he is an artist himself and fairly well-known uh, Tibetan artist living in New York. And his father was dying and uh, wanted very, very much to go back to Tibet. And, of course, that was impossible. So after his father's death, his son conceived the idea that perhaps he could bring some of Tibet to the Tibetan people outside of Tibet by bringing them some soil from Tibet. And this movie is the story of how this um, amazing project unfolded uh, with all the various um, difficulties it presented and eventually happened and eventually be- became a reality. Uh, it's it's really a, a, a multi-level movie, and I think anyone who sees it will will really be delighted by by the entire concept. Especially, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, like the artist who conceived this idea, like he was bringing like not just a little bit of soil, but it's like twenty tons of soil across two national borders. So that's kind of amazing. Well, he brought it, the soil came first to Nepal, right? Yeah, it first came to Nepal, mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> when he, after he got it to Nepal, that was the most difficult part, because getting from Tibet, which is out of China, and bringing, that, <clears throat> bringing the soil from Tibet to Nepal was the most difficult challenge. And then he would have to bring this whole, ton, I mean, 20 tons of soil from Nepal, Kathmandu, to Dharamsala, which is the headquarter of the Tibetan government in exile, and where the, his holiness, the Dalai Lama, lives. The Chinese, of course, refused to let the soil be removed. Um, So they had to smuggle it out of Tibet, and that in itself was a little bit of a a project, as you can imagine. Uh, And they didn't know they were going to have to do this until the last minute. And uh, anyway, that whole story is is an interesting one. And it it sort of illustrates the kind of, in 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 a very light way, it's a sort of tragic situation that exists um, in Tibet now. So eventually, the soil ended up on a beautiful uh, in the middle 
of Dharamsala on a platform. And uh, at the end, the people, the Tibetan people, were allowed to take the soil and put it in their gardens and their homes. And one day, all that soil was gone. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guests today are Peggy Hitchcock. She's the founder and president of Arizona Friends of Tibet. And we also have with us Tibetan UA grad student Tenzin Sonam. And we're talking about the Arizona Friends of Tibet, and in particular, this upcoming movie, Bringing Tibet Home, which is going to be at The Loft on November 11th. It's also going to include a Q&A with the director, Tenzin Tetsun Chokle. I have only seen the trailer. I haven't seen the film, so I'm looking forward to just seeing what goes behind that kind of smuggling of 20,000 kilos of soil and that that dedication uh, that the artist had for his father to bring soil in exile so for his father as well as the Tibetan community in exile. What was it like when you watched the film, Tenzin? I mean, the highlights of the film was when he was bringing this, the soil the dirt from Tibet uh, on a plate to his holiness, the Dalai Lama, and it's wrapped around a Tibetan scarf. <clears throat> and then he presents that to the Dalai Lama. And then, I mean, it's kind of, he, he, what he did was, I mean, using his index finger, he wrote Tibetan in Tibetan language <clears throat> on that Tibetan soil. So that was something <clears throat> really uh, kind of that touched me. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> I mean, his holiness writing this, I mean, even him, I mean, for him also, this, I mean, like he has this aspiration to go back to his home, home country, and, and of course, this is the wish, is, wish of many millions of Tibetans who are in Tibet that he returns to Tibet. So that was one of the highlights of the movie. Have you yourself ever been to Tibet? No. So, like the director and the artist for this movie, uh, we are actually born in India, and our parents are actually uh, born in Tibet, but they came into India when they were quite young. So I was uh, born in India, and I haven't seen uh, Tibet. I mean, although I've seen in the movies, but <clears throat> I haven't uh, set a foot on Tibetan soil. I mean, it's my, I mean, always <clears throat> my wish, like, if I can go back and serve the community there, like, in terms of education, that's my field. <clears throat> so that's something I always wish, that I can go back and and bring the, I mean, like, there are many Tibetan, I mean, the education level of the Tibetans in Tibet are compared to the Chinese are, I mean, far below the Chinese Chinese citizens. So, I mean, we definitely need a lot of work in terms of education. I may say also, which is that the Chinese have hoped uh, to not uh, teach the Tibetan language. And uh, I don't believe that Tibetan language is taught in most of the schools. So that's another very effective tool to basically disenfranchise the Tibetans, uh, I think they have been able to teach their language to some degree, but uh, unfortunately, you know, it's 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 a difficult situation. Yeah. So since mm, two thousand eight, uh, when there was a Beijing Olympic and mm, there was a huge protest inside Tibet and all over Tibet, so after that, I and mean, the Chinese government kind of framed this new policy mm, where they don't want. Actually, I mean, before that, they used to have. I mean, at least the uh, uh, elementary and secondary schools they can teach in their native language, but after that, I mean, many of the Tibetan, uh, many of the Chinese policymakers they were actually uh, thought that maybe 
the language is kind of the common identity that gives to the Tibetans. So, and then they kind of uh, started it with this policy with where, I mean, Tibetan is just a, I mean, the second language they have to study instead of <clears throat> being the first uh, uh, language. So Chinese is now the official medium of instruction in many in all the schools in Tibet, even at the elementary level. So that's really, uh, I mean, in 50 years, I mean, if there are very few Tibetans left speaking their own languages, then I think the Tibetan identity identity is at stake. And many other things, too, that the Chinese have done. Uh, one could say to make the Tibetans, one could say, second-class citizens in their own country. Um, <laughs> the Tibetans are a very... Um, religious group of people by and large, their Buddhism is a very active and living part of their lives. And uh, one of the things as a Buddhist that people do is to go on pilgrimages. And the the, um, the uh, most, I guess the most um, sought after pilgrimage is to uh, um, uh, Mount Kailash, which is an amazing six-sided mountain in the western part of Tibet, which is which is um, sacred to the Hindus and to the the uh, Tibetans and and also the Buddhists to Buddhists and to the Bon religion, which was the original shamanic religion of Tibet. But now, if you want to go to Mount Kailash in your own country, you have to pay an excessive amount of money to go on a pilgrimage, which for many Tibetans or most Tibetans is prohibitive. So I find that really repulsive. Um, anyway, there's a lot of other things that are also not not particularly um, good, but that one particularly for me is, is a, a very sad situation. One of the things that we do in Arizona Friends of Tibet was not only to, we, we send money as much to, in small amounts, to many organizations which help Tibetans, uh, inside Tibet. We, we do this in small, amazingly, uh, very little money goes a long way. And we have, we support orphanages inside Tibet, we support education, the Tibetan language, and we support, uh, some medical clinics inside Tibet. So I, the majority of our funds we try that we we get we uh, that we receive from our members and from the various events go to um Tibetans inside Tibet. Uh with the, but and, and we recently uh were given um an endowment by someone who died uh unexpectedly and so with some of that money we have been able to expand our mission to include um, to include really supporting the goals of his holiness uh, the Dalai Lama beyond just uh, Tibet which is to um, to educate human beings beyond their religion into a, um, a way of life which is involving compassion and this is something he has always wanted to have in the various universities. When he gets um, um, many, many um, honorary degrees, which he has over the last 20 years, he always says, thank you so much for this wonderful degree, which I didn't have to work for. And he pr- always praises the 
uh, university and said, you are such, doing such a good job educating people's minds, but what are you doing for their hearts? And, uh, of course, there's always a big question there. And until recently, not very much has changed. But I'm happy to say over the last couple of years, several institutions of higher learning have embraced the concept of teaching uh, compassion as something that is very relevant to human nature and important. And this is, uh, we have also been able through this endowment to give us some seed money here at the University of Arizona towards starting a um, program for um, compassion studies under the aegis of the College of uh, Social and Behavioral Science. And when I proposed giving a grant from our organization, uh, it was very well received by the university, which made it possible. So now scientists have been able to show that this particular kind of meditation, I'm sure it's true of most meditations, but this one in particular, which has been developed, uh, it's a, a kind of compassion meditation, actually improves the way the brain works. And so that's, of course, very exciting. And hopefully it will make it something that freshmen or students would want to take and to improve their uh, mental capacities. So that is one of the goals. It's also, uh, this is a kind of meditation which is being taught now, not just in the, um, in the university, but also to various, uh, groups within the, the uh, within Tucson, uh, and also to one of the Yaki tribes. And it's been very, um, very happily and well received by everyone who's had the opportunity to uh, do this training. So needless to say, we're very excited about that. And to have been able to be in a small part of this is very gratifying. So talking about these <clears throat> compassion, Center for Compassion Studies, I mean, I just want to <clears throat> go back historically, like how these things started. <clears throat> so, I mean, being an exile, I mean, it, I mean, it's kind of a nos nostalgic, like I mean, you go out of your home homeland, but it gives you many opportunities. So, so these I mean, the dialogues between the, the, these Hollandists, the Dalai Lama, and the scientists. <clears throat> so it began like 30 years ago. So about this compassion meditation and mindfulness meditation that have become so <clears throat> popular in uh, in the West. And also this uh, project of teaching Western science to the monastics. So whole, this whole idea actually came about, I mean, his Hollandist personal interest in science. And then he started... Uh, having these interactions with scientists and philosophers and uh, neurologists and <clears throat> and many uh, Western uh, professionals. So over the time I mean, of last 20 years, I mean, he came to this kind of conclusion that, I mean, <clears throat> the Tibetan monastics should actually uh, l learn science, learn the Western science so that they can embarrass modernity. And, then, and also, I mean, part of, I mean, giving back is, I mean the I mean these compassion studies and mindfulness meditation. So all these are like this. So this whole process is like, and the result of this cultural exchange between uh, Tibetan Buddhism and and the Western science. His Holiness is 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 has a mind basically of a scientist, and he is a big admirer of science, and it's something he feels very strongly. That, for instance, what he said originally was, if in fact science were to prove that the Tibetan meditations and the Tibetan practices were not 
were not working, well, we'd have to change. So he's a, he is really a, a thinker outside the box and has been very, his, his inquiries and ex- exchanges with scientists from all over the world have been very, I would say, very productive for both people, for both groups. And so this program that, uh, of teaching this particular kind of meditation evolved at Emory University with the help of a wonderful man who was a former monk called Geshe Lopsang Nege, who was um, the head, I believe, of the Drepung monks at one point, yes. And he had also been responsible for sending um, groups of Drepung monks all over America doing sand mandalas. And he was a master administrator. And so he also was, was responsible for His Holiness being on the faculty at Emory, which he is. So I think you could say this this um, uh, this compassion training was seeded at, the, at Emory University with the help of a, a, a psychiatrist uh, whose name is Charles Rayson, who worked on this project as well. And then uh, Charles Chuck, known as Chuck, he came here, and so with his um, arrival here is what really helped uh, spur the pro- the program. Uh, here in the University of Arizona. But if people are interested in, in, in taking this course, which I imagine somebody very well might be, they should contact um, the Center for Compassion Studies, uh, and the person directly who is responsible is a wonderful young woman called Leslie Langbert. And she can give them more information. I don't have the coordinates for the uh, college, but I'm sure you can get them. And I wish I had them with me, but I don't. But anyway, if you're interested, they will be giving. They are now giving a course for people. Uh, it's an eight-week course uh, as, as uh, it's being given currently and it will be repeated again, I think, starting in January. And this is not... Nest, this is not for undergraduates. This is a course that anyone can take, actually. And, of course, if you then become more interested in learning and becoming a trainer, then that's a whole uh, couple of years of study. And I think that still takes place at Emory, am I right? Yeah. So that's another whole thing. But it's very exciting. I think that the university, for me, has been very um, interested in doing this work because otherwise, obviously, we couldn't have done it, you know. I should also emphasize that whereas His Holiness is de facto the, the, the leader of the Buddhist world, he is very clear that this is not, although the roots of this meditation are Buddhist, this is not a Buddhist um, meditation. This is way beyond that, and he really feels very strongly. Um, he wrote a, actually a wonderful little book called Beyond Religion, in which he says, you know, religion is all very well and good, but looking around, it hasn't done the job, as you can see, because for many reasons, and we can go into the unfortunate details of that, but what he sees is that the essence of human being, he believes, ha- each human being has within them the seeds of compassion. And this, this is something that is born in us and need, and hopefully can be cultivated. And that this is the way forward outside of whatever religious belief you may have. And of course, if you look at all the great religions of the world, you will find that at their roots, they all embrace uh, the essences of compassion. But 
as soon as you get into specific religions, then you get into divisive uh, situations, which he believes, and so do I, um, are not productive in the long run. Any final thoughts? I do hope that as many people who hear this will want to come and see the movie because it is a very beautiful and subtle piece of work. And I think uh, you'll take away from it a, a really wonderful uh, feeling for the Tibetan, for Tibetan culture and for their spirit of these wonderful people, which we hope to be able to um, incorporate into our Western lives and an appreciation for this culture that has been a peaceful culture for so many years. Thank you so much for this uh, opportunity to uh, to talk about this. It really is wonderful. One of the special I mean, features of this movie is, it's, I mean, usually when you talk about Tibet, it always becomes a political <laughs> issue. So, I mean, this this movie has a very, like, subtle expression of, I mean, what are actually, what are the aspirations of Tibetan people? I mean, they're it's uh, they actually want i mean many of the tibetans who are in exile they want to go back and uh visit their homeland and <clears throat> so this is something that's uh in the heart of every people who are displaced in this world mm-hmm. so that's something uh uh mm-hmm. but it's but it's done through something uh very art in a very artful way like not being very too political so so that's something very special about this movie i think it really has a universal appeal hopefully you will all agree Find out for yourself. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shager. My guests today have been Peggy Hitchcock. She's the founder and president of Arizona Friends of Tibet. And we were also joined by Tenzin Sonam. He's a Tibetan grad student at the University of Arizona. And we're talking about a film called Bringing Tibet Home. It's a benefit for Arizona Friends of Tibet. It's going to be at the Loft Theater on Wednesday, November 11th. And the filmmaker will also be there. The film Bringing Tibet Home is a story of an artist and a father's dying wish and a soil from Tibet.